Chapter 9. Receiving Hope. Martin Luther King Jr., born in 1929 in Atlanta, Georgia, grew up just a few houses away from Ebenezer Baptist Church, where his father served as pastor. By age 26, he had completed college and seminary training, been ordained a Baptist minister, married, and earned a doctorate in systematic theology. The natural course for Dr. King would have been to eventually take his father's place as lead pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. His life took a different path, however. Returning to the South in 1955, he accepted the pastorate of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. That year, Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a Montgomery City bus to a white man. When the black community chose King to head the Montgomery Improvement Association, he helped organize the bus boycott that eventually launched the civil rights movement and his career as its leader. One of King's darkest moments and a turning point in his life came soon after the 381-day boycott started. On January 26, 1956, King, having been arrested and jailed, returned home just in time to receive one more in a series of threatening phone calls. Worried about his safety and that of his wife and baby daughter, he sat alone shortly before midnight, filled with fear and despair over a cup of coffee. He described that moment many years later in a sermon. I got to the point that I couldn't take it any longer. I was weak. Something said to me, you can't call on daddy now. You can't even call on mama now. You've got to call on that something that your daddy used to tell you about. That power that can make a way out of no way. In this midnight hour, religion had become real to me, and I had to know God for myself. With my head in my hands, I bowed down over that cup of coffee. Oh yes, I prayed a prayer. I prayed out loud that night. The words that I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. Lord, I'm down here trying to do what's right. I think I'm right. I think the cause we represent is right. But Lord, I must confess that I am weak now. I am faltering. I'm losing my courage. I am afraid. I am at the end of my powers. At that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced him before. I could hear an inner voice saying to me, Martin Luther, Stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you until the end of the world. From that day forward, although still haunted by fear, he was no longer a victim of despair. His experience with God that night had gifted him with hope that saw him through everything to come. Knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that his cause was right, he marched into fire hoses, police dogs, state patrol on horseback, truncheons, and rifles while adhering to methods of nonviolence. He spent a good deal of time in dusty jail cells while the stream of hate mail and death threats continued. He endured the critiques of racists and cautious clergy alike, and was even stabbed by a mentally disturbed black woman during a book signing in Harlem before finally being assassinated in 1968. Martin Luther King Jr. is a leader 
who exemplifies trusting that hope will arrive in the most challenging moments of working for the common good. As leaders for the common good proclaim their vision and begin working to implement it, they experience periods of confidence and progress, offset by times of anguish during setbacks. When they are in need of hope, the attribute most capable of facing down despair. Joan Chittister, Benedictine author and activist, says, when tragedy strikes, when trouble comes, when life disappoints us, we stand at the crossroads between hope and despair, torn and hurting. Despair cements us in the present. Hope sends us dancing around dark corners trusting in a tomorrow we cannot see. The way to the common good is not always paved and at times no more than a rough track that can seem to disappear altogether. Hope finds us in the thick of things. With hope, leaders can continue their work for the common good, even when circumstances suggest all is lost. At times, hope is confused with optimism. The expectation that things are going to turn out the way we wish. We say, I hope the Red Sox win, or I hope she calls again. But hope in the context of common good leadership has more muscle than optimism. As poet Vaclav Havel, social reformer and former president of Czechoslovakia explains, hope is definitely not the same thing as optimism. Hope is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. To express this fuller meaning, the word hope almost needs an adjective such as deep. Similar to deep ecology, deep hope hints at a more profound nature of hope than a casual mention of the word usually implies. The form of hope that leadership for the common good requires. Leadership for the common good invites leaders to face the challenges of the day, trusting that hope will appear and a way will be shown. The counterintuitive advice to leaders is not to escape into denial, but to stay and work, to walk directly into the challenge and the despair and fear that accompany it, believing it is in these dark moments that we are most likely to encounter hope. Hope as a gift of light in the darkness. While the other six elements in the common good leadership model are developed through practice, hope can only be received like a welcome gift. As the poet Emily Dickinson points out, hope simply arrives like a bird without asking anything of us. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words, and never stops at all. I've heard it in the chillest land, and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Because hope comes from a transcendent source, where the winds of doubt and fear have no access, it can meet any difficulty life presents. It also offers a window onto this transcendent realm, which existed before time and space. As such, hope is pre-existent and eternal. When we receive hope, 
We know it is a gift from a transcendent realm, and it offers strength to help us meet any difficulty that life presents. Once the spark of hope is lit in a leader's heart, it will never be snuffed out by forces of the status quo, even if the leader is swallowed into the belly of despair. Nor can the gift of hope be repaid. Our only task is to receive this gift with gratitude and put it to use while getting on with the business of advancing the common good. For many leaders, such as Martin Luther King Jr., Sojourner Truth, and St. Francis of Assisi, hope comes through an encounter with the Spirit. Hope does not call for a religious orientation, however. Vaclav Havel did not follow a religion, yet he did observe that hope arrives from somewhere outside of ourselves and beyond our own resources. He commented, I think that the deepest and most important form of hope, the only one that can keep us above water and urge us to good works, and the only true source of the breathtaking dimension of the human spirit and its efforts is something we get, as it were, from elsewhere. Because encounters with hope cannot be created or controlled, the only thing leaders can do to receive hope is to move into the territory where hope is likely to arrive. In Dickinson's imagery of hope as a bird, Engaging with hope is a bit like going on a bird-watching hike. An experienced backcountry guide, when asked by a novice, are we going to see eagles today, responds, I plan to take us to places where we are most likely to see them, but whether or not they appear is up to the eagles. The territory where we are likely to encounter hope is on the classic hero's journey. In countless versions of the journey, the hero must leave behind familiar settings to move into the adventure. For instance, in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker bids farewell to life on his own planet, Tatooine. Similarly, in The Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo and Sam leave behind the comforting rhythms of life in the Shire. While walking through a gorgeous meadow not far from home, Sam halts, turns to Frodo, and says, if I take one more step, it'll be the furthest away from home I've ever been. Not long after, joined by two companions, they are chased through the dark woods by a Nazgul, one of the evil agents of Lord Sauron, till they huddle for safety under the cut bank of a river. It is here, surrounded by danger, that the Hobbit's adventure begins. Our natural human response is to avoid difficulty and stay in the safety of the meadow. Ask safe meadow questions, make safe meadow plans, and dream safe meadow dreams. But as Tolkien points out, change for the better rarely happens that way. Likewise, a poster in a college friend's dorm room portrays a photograph of tall sailing ships moored quietly in a harbor, has a caption that reads, Ships are safe in a harbor, but that's not what ships are made for. Walking into the difficulties on our watch may not be easy, but these formidable places often mark the territory of leadership for the common good, and they are frequently where leaders receive hope enough to act. For example, in June 1939, during the Nazi era, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, 
German theologian and martyr, was invited to return to the Union Theological Seminary in New York, where he had done postgraduate work a decade earlier. He accepted the invitation for fear of being conscripted by the Nazi regime. As a committed pacifist, he could not endure the thought of being connected to Hitler's abhorrent vision. Later that year, however, after wrestling with his conscience, Bonhoeffer decided to leave his comfortable position in the university and return to Germany to serve in the resistance to the Nazi regime. Explaining his rationale in a letter to Reinhold Neubner, his colleague and mentor at Union, he said, I have come to the conclusion that I made a mistake in coming to America. I must live through this difficult period in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Subsequently, in Germany, Bonhoeffer served as a double agent working within the Nazi regime and as a courier of German resistance movement. He was eventually discovered, arrested, and then executed at Flossenburg concentration camp in April 1945, only weeks before the Soviet army entered Berlin. As leaders face their most difficult issues, doubts are likely to arise in their minds and they may feel interrogated by self-doubt. This issue has been around so long, what makes me think I can make a difference? With the resistance our culture has placed around such hot-button issues, what makes me think I have the right and power to tackle this problem in our community? Questions like these or other trials accompany most journeys towards the creation of a more just and caring world. Hope says keep coming. When hope appears in the midst of such darkness and doubt, the nature of the problem is transformed from something overwhelming into something that, although challenging, appears surmountable. Questions may remain but are no longer debilitating. The cultural resistance may continue, though it is no longer unbearable. Stuart Burns, historian and Martin Luther King Jr. scholar, gives us a picture of how hope meets and empowers us in the most difficult moments. Describing Dr. Keene's response to his encounter with despair after his family was threatened, Burns noted, He clung to his faith, however, that the divine force was buried in the deepest darkness, that if he carried his candle of faith deeper and still deeper into the heart of darkness, the darkness at the heart of life, he would discover the blinding light at the center of God's creation, the fire at the core of his own soul. One of the most moving demonstrations of the light of hope shining in the darkness is told by Elie Weisel in Night, his autobiographical recounting of the horror of the Holocaust. At the end of World War II, in a last desperate attempt to kill Jews, the SS guards led hundreds of men on a 50-mile march at night in the dead of winter. At the end of this death march, the men who survived were crowded into a decaying builder building where exhausted some began to sleep. It was so crowded that people were lying on top of one another. 
in some cases several bodies deep. Weisel, who was 15 at the time, describes someone lying on top of him, covering his face such that he could not breathe. Fortunately, he managed to forge a hole through several layers of dying people so he could get just enough air to avoid suffocation. In the midst of this living nightmare, one of Weissel's childhood friends, Juliak, made a radical choice. Weissel reports, I heard the sound of a violin. The sound of a violin in this dark shed where the dead were heaped on the living. It must have been Juliak. He played a fragment from Beethoven's concerto. I have never heard sound so pure, in such a silence. It was pitch dark. I could hear only the violin, and it was though Juliet's soul were the bow. Hope's Gift to Leadership Once hope arrives, it does not change the truth of what is or lessen the difficulties of shifting to what ought to be but it does help leaders perceive possibility where none seemed to exist. I became aware of a poignant metaphor for the shift in perception one midsummer Saturday afternoon some years ago when I was doing some friendly wrestling on the backyard lawn with my sons Nick and Ben, ages 8 and 7. We tumbled across the lawn toward a row of rose bushes planted along its edge, staring up into the intricate branches I saw there were about 200 thorns, thorns, and only three roses. I suddenly realized that focusing on the roses among the sea of thorns was like receiving hope amidst difficulty, an experience that caused my mind to shift to a positive perspective. Like seeing the roses amidst the many thorns, glimpsing hope invites people not to lose sight of the possibilities for a better future seated in a vision despite the challenges before them. Hope offers a balanced view. If leaders pretend there are no thorns, they and others may be hurt when they brush up against them. If leaders can see only thorns and no roses, they may lose sight of their vision of what could be and risk cynicism and continuation of the status quo. Acknowledging the thorns, yet receiving hope from the roses, has stood humanity in great stead time after time. For example, when President Abraham Lincoln dedicated the National Cemetery at Gettysburg in November 1863, four months after the battle at Gettysburg had resulted in the death of more soldiers than any other Civil War battle, he was fully aware of the devastation linked to the setting, but nevertheless pointed to the rose. The unfinished promise of the American experiment in democracy, to give hope and support his sense of purpose. It is for us, the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from those honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion. That we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain. That this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom. And that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth.
Similarly, in 1940, as England prepared to face the brunt of Hitler's aggression on the Western Front, West Winston Churchill, speaking before the House of Commons, focused the country's attention on its own tenacity and courage. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free, and the life of the world may move forward into broad, sunlit uplands. But if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that, if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say, this was their finest hour. The capacity to shift perspective, to see hope and possibility, empowers leaders to make radical choices for the good. Radical choices may appear to defy logic and prudence, but the voice of hope, the often intuitive voice that says, in spite of the evidence, believe, can encourage leaders to make radical choices despite apparent difficulties. For example, a Native American woman decided to start an Alcoholics Anonymous group on her reservation. She advertised the first meeting, but no one came, and she sat alone at the meeting venue the entire allotted time. The next week, she advertised the meeting again. Again, no one showed up. With an eye on the potential good an Alcoholics Anonymous program could bring to her people, she continued announcing the meeting, week after week, and waiting with hope. Finally, after nine months had passed, one person joined her, then another. Over the next five years, more people came and the group flourished, becoming an asset to the community. Another example of hope empowering a radical choice is in the words of the song, Lift Every Voice and Sing, written by James Weldon Johnson in 1899, which many black Americans regard as their national anthem because it describes their experience in America. One stanza in particular makes the point. Stony the road we trod, bitter the chastening rod, felt in the days when hope unborn had died, yet with a steady beat have not our weary feet come to the place for which our fathers sighed. The first two lines bear witness to the black experience in America, riddled as it is with injustice and pain. The simple word, yet, on which the stanza hinges, testifies to the power of hope, and the two lines that follow express a radical choice for hope inspired by spirit. The gift of hope can be generative. A single, well-timed, and courageously conceived act by a leader that inspires hope can start a movement that changes history, as illustrated by the following story. Jeanne Starry, a professional photographer and a friend of mine, was one of the thousands of Czechs who on a cold November day in 1989 gathered in Wenceslas Square in Prague to protest the Soviet-backed communist regime. Someone in the crowd began to shake his keys as a sign of the hope-inspired protest. 
and in just a few days, the number of key shakers grew quickly to an estimated half million. All of the protesters were at risk of enduring a brutal backlash from the forces of the Soviet army. Yet, they stood together in the November frost with the belief that their collective nonviolent voice had the political power to convince the communist regime to step down. Two weeks later, the leaders of the protest organized a work strike throughout Czechoslovakia, which ushered in the Velvet Revolution and a new era of democracy for the Czech people. Similarly, Wangari Mathai, a Kenyan scientist, activist, and Nobel Prize winner for her work in bringing sustainable environmental and democratic practices to Africa, became aware of the rapid deforestation in Africa. As a response on World Environment Day in 1977, she helped organize the planting of seven trees at a public park in Kenya's capital, Nairobi. This small act, inspired by the hope to one day see Africa full of trees again, stirred the same hope in others. It grew into the Green Belt Movement, in which village women began protecting the environment and helping their families while being paid for planting trees. Since its founding, the movement has planted millions of trees in Kenya and other African countries. In such cases, hope-inspired action becomes contagious among people interested in acting for the common good. Norman Cousins points out, the capacity for hope is the most significant fact of life. It provides human beings with the sense of destination and the energy to get started. Practices for inviting hope. Although hope comes as a gift and cannot be developed, engaging in the following practices invites the gift because they move the leader into the demanding territory essential for advancing the common good. Begin. Beginning to act summons hope. I learned this for the first time at age 10, when after an astounding three feet of snow had fallen during one night in the Massachusetts town where I grew up, my older brothers pointed out that it was my turn to shovel the front sidewalk. I remember standing with the shovel and snow as high as the middle of my ribs, looking from one end of the 20-foot distance to the other and feeling tempted to just give up and go inside. Then something inside me said quietly, why not give it a try? Next, I made a plan. I would dig a narrow trough, one shovel's width wide, down to the cement, along the center of the entire 20-foot length. Each time my shovel hit the cement sidewalk, I gained hope and encouragement. Finally, I broke through to the far end. Widening the path would obviously take far longer than cutting that first swath, but by that time I was infused with energy and with certainty that I could finish. Most of us face daunting tasks at times and have to somehow find the capacity to act. For example, farmers facing the empty fields of spring consider the hard work ahead before fall harvest. Single mothers look into the eyes of their infants and wonder where they'll find the strength to raise a child alone. All great works begin the same way, with some single action that invites hope. Walk into the difficult issues and keep going. To invite hope, 
It helps if leaders are willing to take an honest look at the difficult truths of social situations and ask their contemporaries to do the same. For example, Martin Luther King Jr. plumbed the ugly depths of American racism and asked all Americans to make an equally honest assessment of the moral state of the Union. Former Vice President Al Gore took a hard look at the inconvenient truth of global warming and asked people throughout the world to confront the same difficult issue. The Dalai Lama met the Tibetan people's suffering with honesty and compassion, making his mere presence a reminder of the immoral nature of the Chinese government's oppression of his people. The Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, community understands the value of looking at difficult truths in order to make people's lives better. In AA's programs, recovery begins with individuals declaring the difficult truth that they are alcoholics. Those in recovery know that healing requires commitment to truth-telling about challenging questions and that hope emerges on the other side of their decision to face the difficult truth. AA has much to teach leaders about walking right into the challenges on their watch, speaking the truth in love about the plight of those on the margins in their communities and the changes being promoted. Like those in recovery, such leaders can expect that, with diligence and the support hope offers, they will be able to keep their vision alive despite challenges and resistance from others. Winston Churchill once advised, if you are going through hell, keep going. When engaging with difficult truths, difficult questions, or difficult people becomes a habit, there is a great reason to believe change for the good of all will happen. Remember, to invite hope, it helps if leaders remember similar difficult situations when hope arrived. Perhaps no institution practices memory as a means to summon hope more powerfully than the American black church, which believes in a God of hope who helps those trapped in despair to find a way out of no way. An African-American folk saying, serving as a reminder that hope is always possible. The American black church's hope is sustained by memory that of their own and their forebears suffering, which keeps them alert to present-day injustices, and the memory of Spirit's faithfulness, which allows them to plan for the future. In large part, the work of Martin Luther King Jr. was to assist other blacks in recalling their strength, power, dignity, and their God, who would once again help them find a way. Their main job was to keep protesting and singing, trusting that their actions would summon the power of Spirit to sustain them with hope while they work to transform the status quo and advance the common good. In the Jewish tradition, Passover, which centers on the memory of the Jews finding their way out of bondage and oppression by following the call of spirit, likewise ushers in hope. A further valuable practice for leaders is to inspire others to remember and share their own stories of hope coming to them during difficult circumstances. In telling stories of hope, we recycle the original gift of hope, extending Spirit's generosity to new times and places. Believe. 
Perhaps the primary way leaders can invite hope is by believing that spirit is trustworthy and they will receive hope. Belief creates expectancy and gives us eyes for seeing hope when it arrives. Belief also makes us more likely to recognize the hope already around us in the form of resources, allies, and opportunities needed to work for the common good in various situations. During his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech on December 10, 1964, nearly a decade after his midnight encounter with hope, Martin Luther King spoke of the belief, the audacious faith, that kept him moving forward and encouraged us all to move forward with him. In the company of hope toward a better future. I accept this award today with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. I refuse to accept the idea that the isness of man's present nature makes him morally incapable of reaching up for the eternal oughtness that forever confronts him. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere flotsam and jetsam in a river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I refuse to accept the cynical notion that nation after nation must spiral down a militaristic stairway into the hell of thermonuclear destruction. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right, temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil, triumphant. I have the audacity to believe that people everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education, and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits. I believe that what self-centered men have torn down, men other-centered can build up. I still believe that we shall overcome. Spirit asks us, to walk together into the remaining difficult work of social justice and trust that hope will meet us there. Exercises Opening ourselves to hope To feel confident walking into the difficulties on your watch trusting that hope will find you, consider the following scenarios. Before beginning, think of an actual social injustice or problem that concerns you. Scenario 1. Over the past decade, you have engaged the social ill and have expressed your concerns at neighborhood meetings, written an editorial, and even given testimony at the city council. On each occasion, you decided, for the sake of decorum, to ask polite questions and propose reasonable alternatives. Not much change happened throughout the, this period of time. Though people praised you, for raising such good questions in a responsible fashion. Scenario two. At first you engaged the social concern in a polite manner, but little changed. Realizing that your response to the question, am I in the third circle, was no. You decided to express the concern with greater moral clarity and conviction. Your public questions pushed the envelope of accepted norms and made your peers uncomfortable. In response, 
Your neighbors invited you to fewer potlucks and game nights, causing you on occasion to feel isolated and alone in your own hometown. Yet during the next decade, you became increasingly more informed on the issue, and hearing the voice of hope encouraging you forward, you raised more difficult questions with neighbors, the media, and the city council. As a result, a few people joined you, and modest progress occurred regarding your cause. Which scenario do you prefer? Why? Reflection questions. Does pursuing the vision you articulated in chapter 6 require you to encounter difficult questions or circumstances? If so, how will you prepare yourself to leave the safe places and walk into the darkness? Do you believe hope will find you? Why or why not? Recall a time when things looked dark, yet hope arrived. What attitudes may have invited hope? How can you help others find hope?